Please join me. Heavenly Father, we do want to crown your Son, our Lord Jesus, with many crowns. And as we continue to abide in your word and hear your word preached and seek to apply it to our lives, we do want to have fruit to bear and bring you the crowns that you are worthy of. We'll cast all of them upon you, our Lord and King, when we get there. So thank you, God, for this time. Thank you for our worship today. Thank you for your word and for the particular topic that we'll speak on today. I pray it will be uplifting for us all, all those who are listening online as well, and we would respond with grateful hearts, hearts that seek to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we concluded our study in Mark's gospel. It was two years and some months that we were in there. And hopefully, we were convinced uh, that the official ending of Mark's book was in verse 8. And he ends his account somewhat abruptly um, with the women and the disciples trembling with great astonishment and fear as they are told of Jesus' resurrection. And you recall that they were told by dazzling angelic messengers of God at the empty tomb. And one of them saying to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. And the women were so stunned they can hardly speak as they leave to go tell Peter and the disciples about this unbelievable turn of events that Jesus is alive. And that's what we've been celebrating uh, since Resurrection Day a few Sundays ago. But what happens next? We know that the other gospel writers inform us uh, of Jesus' appearances. He appears to Mary Magdalene, the other women, the disciples, to Peter, to other believers, and he gives his disciples instructions Basically, in John 21, he tells Peter to feed, to shepherd his flock. Shepherd, feed my sheep. And then he tells him to follow him, also in John 21. Whatever anyone else is doing, you follow me. And then he gives them all the great commission, of course, right? Matthew 28, Luke 24, to proclaim the gospel to make disciples of all the nations. But the next part is something that we don't necessarily think so much about or hear too much about, because after his resurrection appearances, and he was on earth for some 40 days uh, to many witnesses, what happens is that Jesus ascends to heaven. He ascends to heaven. And that is our sermon title today, that Jesus arose, then ascended. And we're going to be jumping around in uh, a bunch of scriptures today, so hopefully you can follow along. But after that interesting ending to Mark's gospel last week, I thought it would be good to revisit this topic um, of Jesus' ascension. It kind of made sense to me to follow up on his glorious resurrection by taking just a little bit of time to consider his next step, this next part of the wonderful gospel story. And... 
we want to talk about what it means for our lives today. So I kind of separated it in two parts. Uh, there's a lot there, believe it or not, with his ascension. So um, instead of making one really long um, message, we're going to break it into two. So today's part one of Jesus Arose, Then Ascended. And our theme for today, it's in your inserts if you want to look there, is that the truth of Christ's ascension gives believers further reason to rejoice in worship of him. And when I say further reason, is because we're so happy about the resurrection, aren't we? <laughs> aren't we so, uh, this is one of our big celebration days and just cause for us to continue to, to live because he lives, we can face tomorrow, right? We're so thankful for Christ's resurrection. But the truth of his ascension gives us even further reason to rejoice in true worship of him. So today, that's what we're going to cover, um, the truth of the ascension and then the triumph of the ascension. Okay, it's, uh, you have, I think you have blanks there in your insert, but, um, in your bulletin. So first, the truth of Jesus' ascension. And sadly, I hate to tell you, but like the resurrection, some people, including many who profess Christ, okay, many who claim to be Christians, even theologians who have written on the subject, these folks argue that you don't have to believe the ascension of Jesus in a literal way. Right? They contend that there is a, a spiritual value in believing the symbolism of Christ being resurrected and then ascended. Um, it's part of the Jesus story that's meant to uplift our hearts and spirits and his ascension metaphorically describes him as being this lofty, exalted figure that everyone can look up to. Um, in fact, some of the more brash of these quote-unquote theologians charge that believing the literal, actual account of Jesus' ascension is to, quote, is, sorry, quote, stupid, foolish, and childish. Okay, they've actually written those exact words. And I might commend to folks like this uh, the words of our Lord, who said that our faith must be like that of what? Children. That's right. Matthew 18.4, right? He says, Unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's Jesus' words for these skeptics. So can we turn to uh, Acts chapter 1, which Philip so kindly read to us earlier? Acts chapter 1, and we know that Dr. Luke, the physician, is the author of Acts. It's kind of like Luke part 2. And that passage in Acts 1 is the straightforward account of Jesus' ascension. It's quite literal. It's meant to be taken at face value. Uh, there's no indication at all of it being some kind of figurative or symbolic language, as if, again, it's some kind of metaphoric transcendence of Jesus over the earth, and it's meant to be interpreted spiritually or allegorically. Um, that's not the way Luke wrote it or meant it. We understand the Bible by authorial intent. What did the author mean to say? And that's what he's saying. It's clear he meant it literally. And it really doesn't require that much explanation, but um, verse 9, Luke does write that he was lifted up. He was lifted up. 
Um, while the disciples were looking on, okay, that word, it simply means to lift or hoist something from one place to another. It's a, it's a physical description. And so as the end of verse 9 says, it says, A cloud received him out of their sight. Uh, that's exactly how it happened. A cloud went under, around Jesus, supported him like a, like a vehicle supports a rider. Um, most theologians, okay, biblical theologians, suggest that this was the Shekinah glory of God that lifts up Jesus out of the disciples' sight. Um, verse 10 says that the disciples were gazing intently. Okay, that word is used 14 times in the New Testament. It means to fix one's eyes on, okay, look, to look straight at, okay, like I'm looking at you right now, to stare at. That's what the word means, to gaze intently. The disciples were looking at him intently as he was up ascending into the sky. So verse 10 continues, while he was going or departing, while he was departing, simply means to leave, okay, to leave, to travel, to proceed from one place to another. Our brother, Pastor Bill, is going to be on a plane going to Wisconsin in a few days. Okay, that's what was happening. He's, he left. He didn't just disappear into thin air. Okay, sometimes in Jesus' resurrection appearances, he just like appears out of nowhere. or He's with the, the two guys on, on the road to Emmaus, and he just vanishes once they realize who he is. Right? But it wasn't like that. It wasn't like beam me up Scotty in Star Trek. Right? They disintegrate, and then they reappear, reintegrate somewhere else. No, this word indicates it was a movement, a journey, like a, like a trip. His ascension was a physical moving. He proceeds from the Mount of Olives where he was on the ground there with the disciples in his body, and then he goes directly up to heaven, ascending. So we could go on, on the, about that, but I think you get the point, right? So where is Jesus right now? Where is he today? He's, he's in heaven. And how did he get there? He ascended. He ascended up to heaven. So I do want to say that even though Luke's language is straightforward and, and very plain and clear, uh, this is no doubt an absolute miracle. Okay? Um, what Luke is describing is a mind-boggling supernatural event uh, for sure. And isn't that what we would expect? Okay? After all, the way that Jesus came into the world was an absolute mind-boggling miracle. His incarnation was an absolute supernatural miracle. I mean, how does the eternal living word become flesh? And how does God become a man? How does a virgin become with child? And likewise, the way that he went out of this world was also miraculous, absolutely. So if we look at Acts 1 again, uh, verse 11, um, this is why the disciples were staring so intently into the sky. And that's why God had to send these two angels to kind of wake them up out of their stupor, their jaws just wide open watching this happen. The angels tell them that Jesus will be coming back in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. I mean, they saw it with their own eyes eyes. And so uh, let me just share with you, there's other scripture references that affirm the truth of Jesus' ascension. Can I just give you a few of them? First uh, Timothy 3.16, which some of you um, just know and love. Paul writing to Timothy, First Timothy 3.16. 
He says, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and then what? Taken up in glory. And this is what all Christians confess, profess, and believe. By common confession. Jesus' ascension is part of that. He was taken up in glory. First Peter, Peter writes in First Peter 3.22, Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. That, that word, having gone into heaven, is the same word as in Acts 1.11. And then lastly, I'll give you Ephesians 4, verse 10. Paul writing once again. Ephesians 4, verse 10. He says, He who had descended his he who descended is himself also, he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Alright, I'm not going to read these verses, but you can just jot them down. Hebrews 4 14, Hebrews 7 26, 4 14 and 7 26 of Hebrews. And then um, Jesus even speaks of his ascension in John 6, verse 62, John 20, verse 17, and he alludes to it in Matthew 26, 64. So just, uh, I'm supporting all of this just with evidence from Scripture because Acts 1 is the clearest description, and yet the rest of the New Testament affirms that truth. So... Um, Jesus has been exalted, glorified, raised up to the right hand of power. Okay, this was no invention of the early church, okay, trying to make up legends and myths uh, about uh, this man named Jesus. Um, it was a historical event. Okay, this is the truth. This is the reality. This is the reality, not just some story, despite what the scoffers say. So um, that is a definite red flag if some supposedly Christian author or theologian is saying that you don't have to believe this, literally. Okay, just, just take in the, the spiritual um, meaning behind it, and, and you're good. No, that's, that's not good. Okay, this was as real as his incarnation was. It's as real as his sinless, perfect life was. It's as real as his death and crucifixion was. It's as real as his glorious resurrection was. And if you're a Christian, you believe and love all of it, including his ascension. So, like I mentioned during the resurrection sermons, none of this is treated as history okay, in all the classes that we took in school, okay, high school, college, etc. Um, and yet, none of those things that are contained in our history books are as true or as real or write as what's recorded in the pages of Scripture. And we know and love that. So, um, dear Faith Bible Church, I ask you, do you believe in the literal bodily resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ into heaven today? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's affirm and and, uh, love that truth together this morning. So next, uh, I want to give you some encouragement. Um, The triumph of Christ's ascension uh, I think there are, as I said, further reasons to take joy um, in, in, in our worship of, of our risen Lord. These are not merely facts. It's not just information, even though it is history. Like, how often do you read a, a fact in your history books and, and like, your heart just, just 
burst with, with joy. Um, it doesn't really, right? But look at, um, let's go to Luke 24 for a moment. Luke chapter 24. This is the very end of Luke's gospel. And uh, this is the same man who wrote Acts chapter 1 that we just read. But uh, he ends his gospel in a particular way. And he actually does mention in verse 50. Luke 24, the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Look what it says there in verse 50. After he speaks to his disciples and gives them instruction, it says in verse 50, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was what? Carried up into heaven. The ascension, right? But look at verse 52 and 53. The end says, And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So I kind of want to use that as kind of a a launching point to give us three reasons uh, to rejoice in worship of the ascended Christ. Three reasons we can rejoice as believers Rejoice in worship of the ascended, as we see the disciples doing here after they see Jesus go up into heaven. So the first, first reason is that Jesus' suffering and humiliation on earth is over and vindicated. Jesus' suffering and humiliation on earth is over with and vindicated. I've already mentioned that Jesus' incarnation was a miracle. And we know that although he was very God, the Son of God, God the Son, in order to to come to earth as a man, what did he do? He voluntarily emptied himself, right? That glorious passage in Philippians chapter 2, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus did not stop being God but he made himself of no reputation. He invaded humanity. He took on the form of a bondservant, of a man. He took on flesh. And so while he was on earth, he lived as a man, and he chose not to exercise some of his divine attributes. He laid aside his divine privileges, his position, his prerogatives. His glory was veiled to be unveiled for a moment before the three, right, in the Mount of Transfiguration. This was God the Son living in voluntary self-limitation. And he lived a life of suffering, humiliation, and humble service, even though he was the king of all kings. Perhaps just even hearing that once again this morning is humbling to you, as it is to me. How is it that the Lord of Lords was born in a lowly stable, was continually maligned and misunderstood and mistreated by those he came to save. He was doubted and abandoned by those closest to him, his disciples. In his humiliation, Christ did all of this while he was on earth. We know that he was mocked, beaten, spit on, scourged, slapped, crucified on the cross like the lowliest, vilest criminal. 
and he was blamed for all of our sins. He experienced hell on earth while he was on that cross, bearing the weight of your sin and my sin for our sake. But in his ascension, all these experiences and sufferings and humiliation that Jesus went through are vindicated. They're vindicated. Hey, following his resurrection is his ascension to heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God. This marks the end of his suffering on earth. Okay, all that he went through is, as a, as a truly human man, all the suffering and abuse and agony, all the self-limitation, all the humiliation, they're vindicated by his resurrection and, yes, by his ascension. Okay, we think about all those things during... Easter Sunday, right? Resurrection Day and his resurrection. It's true. But I want us to continue that thought and that progression and the history, the truth, the ascension. He's vindicated fully and finally by that. So to to be vindicated, folks, it means that Jesus is shown to be right. And he's shown to be correct. He's shown to be true. He's proven that all his claims are validated. It's shown by the fact of his ascension up to heaven. And if that makes you happy and you know it, you can clap your hands or you can just say amen, <laughs> okay? Because um, this is truly amazing. He's rightfully enthroned, folks. There's no longer a crown of thorns bloodying his perfect head as he's suffering. It's, it's over, and now he's, he's crowned as Lord of all. His name is exalted above every other name. And so I want to encourage us to rejoice in our resurrected, ascended king today. Okay, his humiliation, earthly sufferings are done and over with. He's fully vindicated. And, and this overlaps with the second reason, which we're going to go to now. Um, the second reason we should rejoice in worship of Christ is that he, he has returned to glory in heaven. Okay, Jesus has returned to glory in heaven. Okay, speaking of being made happy, fellow brothers and sisters, we have much cause to rejoice because of Christ today. Okay? Yes, because he's vindicated, earthly humiliation over with, but his ascension means he is once again exalted and glorified in heaven. Uh, going back to Acts chapter 1, It says, the cloud that received him out of the disciples' sight. Again, we're not told specifically there, um, as I mentioned, but this may be the cloud that's connected with the transfiguration, like the cloud in Old Testament times, which descended on the tabernacle in the wilderness, filled Solomon's temple. We know the Shekinah glory of God. Um, Certainly this was a supernatural cloud, And as such, I mention all that again because this was a symbol of the glorification of Jesus, the Son, even the way that he ascended into heaven, taken up in that Shekinah glory. He was resuming his pre-incarnate glory that he left, the glory that he possessed before he came to earth as a man 2,000 years ago, before even time began. Do you remember Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17? Okay, in verse 5, Perhaps this was even part of the answer to his own prayer there. Okay, on the night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you 
before the world was. Okay, what, he, what he emptied himself of, what he left to become a man, this was now and is restored. He's returned to his exaltation. And there's other um, references. Again, let me just share with you Ephesians chapter 1. It says that at the ascension, the Father seated him, seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 22. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. I don't know about you, but that makes me happy to know that Jesus is on the throne and everything is subject to him. Okay? It, it's, it's not in physical reality yet, but it's, it's to come. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so um, Hebrews 8 verse 1 also just uh, highlights this. Hebrews 8 verse 1 says, We have a high priest who is Jesus, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Love all those prepositional phrases. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, Keep seeking the things above. That's a command to us believers. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Where is he? Seated at the right hand of God. So, when it says that over and over throughout Scripture, uh, I won't give you any more references there, but being seated at the Father's right hand, this is the position of highest prominence, of greatest rule, authority, power, honor, majesty. When I think of those words, I don't want to think about earthly kings or earthly presidents. I want to think of my Lord Jesus. And that's where he is right now, following his ascension. So this causes us, hopefully, like the disciples, to rejoice in worship of him. It designates and demonstrates that Jesus is Lord over all. It's the glorious coronation of our King by the Father in heaven. So just, again, maybe we, we think of that apart from the ascension, but I'm just encouraging you to link those thoughts together and um, to, to connect it with, well, why do we have joy in this life? Why should we rejoice in worship of Christ? Well, it's who he is, where he is, what he is, and what he's doing even right now, which some of which we will talk more about next week, so I'll save it. But um, I think I and we must remember this. He ascended to his throne, and he's the one in charge. Okay? Doesn't it? cause you to to take joyful worship knowing that he's the all-wise all-sovereign ruler and king and absolute sovereign over everything only king jesus knows what is up and only king jesus knows what is down and he knows everything in between so this is joy for us believers it is worship to him and it means that that we don't have to be the ones who, who feel like we have to fix everything. And that's what it means for me. I don't have to fix people. I don't have to fix problems. I'm not the one who's in control of every situation um, in life, in ministry, in the church, in my family, in my distant family. Okay, I'm not the one in charge, and I'm not the fixer. Okay, sometimes it's my temptation. Maybe, maybe you can relate. It's our temptation. 
We see a problem, and we have to be the ones to fix it, right? There's even a song, Fix You. <laughs> but with the ascension of Christ, okay, dwelling on his majesty and authority, his dominion, his position, his power, I'm reminded, we're reminded, instead of trying to fix all these problems, okay, sometimes we try to fix things that are out there in the world we have, we have zero influence on, right? Instead of that, dear people, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Look up, trusting in him, having faith and hope in the ascended Lord. He's the one who has the preeminence, supremacy, first place, over and in all things, Colossians 1.18. He's the one in charge, not me. He's on the throne. He's at the right hand of God. And so, having said that, we are called to follow Jesus, right? And not just by our lonesome, not isolated. We're called to follow Jesus together as a church body, as a church family, Luke chapter 9, John chapter 21. We're called to be faithful to him together. We need a whole lot of help, folks. That's why the church is here, right? So to build one another up and encourage each other to do that. And so that means we do have responsibility, right? We do have duties to be an example to follow, right? As much as we struggle and everything, we want to be an example for someone who's less along the way on their walk with the Lord, um, we want to walk in obedience ourselves. We want to have a passionate pursuit uh, of Christ, as we heard yesterday, as, especially as men of God. We want to have a, an aggressive initiative in our personal walks with Jesus and in our pursuit of him. And so that is the example that we want to, others around us to follow. And so everyone, men and women, but I will speak to, to the men particularly, we are called to be the leaders in this, in our family, in the church, and uh, all of us following Christ with passion. That is what we're called to, and that's part of what it is to, to be faithful. And so even though we're not the fixers, right, we're not the fixer-uppers, we, don't, we can't, I'm not in charge of other, just fixing everything, um, we are called to be faithful and to follow and fix our eyes on Christ. And so Jesus ascended that he might fill all things, Ephesians 4.10 again. And for us, that means trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And so that should result in great joy and worship and hope as we pursue Christ. We sang Behold Our God last week, right? And one of the lines there says, God eternal Humbled to the grave, Jesus, Savior, risen now to reign. And behold, our God, he rose to ascend and he ascended to reign. And so this leads us to our third and final reason why Christ's ascension should cause us to rejoice in worship of him today. And the, the first two are, are kind of fixed on who Christ is and us looking up to him um, in his place of exaltation. But listen, this last reason is that Jesus is, believe it or not, preparing a place for us in heaven. Okay? Jesus is preparing a place for believers in heaven. 
And when you stop to think about that, it's, it's hard to get over that reality, that truth. But that's what he says, right? In John chapter 14, do you remember? He says, I go, he's speaking to the disciples the night before he's crucified. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Why should we take joy in Jesus' ascension to heaven? Well, because part of the very reason he went was so that he could be preparing rooms for us, a place in his Father's house for us. And of course, heaven is the place where God is, where Jesus is, and it's where he says he's going to receive believers to himself. Heaven is where all believers will be related to God and to Christ in perfect fellowship and love and worship of him forever and ever. And so imagine Jesus personally receiving you to himself in that place that he's been preparing. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's, it's stunning. And I love the, the picture in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen, as he's proclaiming the gospel and people are just hating him for it to the point of picking up these stones and literally stoning him to death. Stephen is looking into the heavens and he sees God's glory. And what else does he see as he's, as he's looking up into the skies? He sees Jesus, it says there in Acts 7, standing at the right hand of God. And it says it twice, verse 55, verse 56. Standing. I, I mentioned a few scriptures elsewhere where it says Jesus sits at the right hand of God, right? And again, that's kind of, uh, doesn't necessarily mean he's like cross-legged sitting down on it, but uh, it, it shows his position. But interestingly here in Acts chapter 7, it does say that he was standing two times. He's standing. So it gives us a picture of King Jesus rising up, standing to receive his guest into their new home. Right? He's welcoming Stephen into, into heaven in this particular place that he's prepared for this faithful disciple. And he stands to receive this man, his chosen, one of his family. So uh, back to John 14. Okay, what an amazing promise that is that Jesus makes, right? I'm going to go away, he says, not you. I'll be glorified and I'll be preparing a room for you in my Father's house. And when it's your time, I'm going to receive you to myself, into that place, that glorious place. How comforting, how assuring, how joyful it is for our hearts today to know that our King Jesus would be busy preparing a place for us in his heavenly kingdom, that he would be personally, intimately receiving us, welcoming us into that place one day. I mean, whenever I think about that, I think it should be the other way around. I should be preparing things for him, right? And in my life, as we sang, take my life and let it be, we are actually doing that in a different way, but um, he's working even now for us. And this is part of his ascension ministry, if you want to call it that. In his ascension, Christ is considering, thinking, working, preparing a place for you and your place in his kingdom. 
And may that stir up our, our soul's affections for him. May that inspire joyful worship of our Christ today. So I hope that gives you some encouragement. Um, next week, like I said, part two, um, we're going to look a little bit more at how that affects our walks with him, our, our Christian lives, what his ascension means to that, the significance of that. And so there's, there's a lot to, to talk about. But uh, let me close today. Um, as we have read the end of Luke, some of you may have thought that, you know, normally goodbyes are sad, right? We have to say goodbye to people and, and you know, they're, they're leaving us, they're departing. Um, and yet, we just read in Luke 24 that they were, they were rejoicing. They, they were caused to, to worship, worship him. And they were blessing God. They were praising God continually after that. And so it might seem a little bit odd or a little bit strange that they weren't lamenting. But we, we know that Luke's gospel begins with great joy, doesn't it? The announcement of Jesus' birth and his coming. Great joy of good news, glad tidings to all people because the Savior is coming. He's going to be born to you this night. And so the disciples and we as Disciples today of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have cause, we have reason to, to rejoice in worship. And it's because if, if you're a believer like I am and you love the Lord Jesus, that his suffering, his humiliation on earth is over. He's in his rightful place right now, seated at the right hand of God, exaltation and glory. And even when he comes back, he's going to rule on earth. And even after that thousand years, He's going to rule forever and ever in the eternal state, in the new heavens and new earth. So it gives us that anticipation. Um, but also the special, incredible thing for you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's preparing a place particularly for us. And he's going to welcome us into that place one day. So let us look forward to that and rejoice even in worship now. And we'll look again next week on further ways and implications we can apply this. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for the truth of your word and just the implications that we can glean uh, from it and even something like the ascension of Christ uh, that we don't necessarily think about consciously all the time. Um, Lord, it's in your word, it's truth, it's reality. And so we do want to apply it in particular ways and, and take encouragement and, and joy. Your word says that your word is sure, rejoicing the heart. So thank you for this particular topic today once again, and we look forward to next week. But I pray it has been a, a blessing and encouragement to each of us today. And our hearts have been exalted as we look to the exalted one, the glorified, resurrected, ascended Christ. And it's in his exalted name we pray. Amen.